The following message is a presentation from Grace Baptist Church in Kettering, Ohio. Acts chapter 15 and verse number 13. Now, I'll get into giving a review after we read, but let's look there first. The Bible says, Acts 15 and verse 13, and after they, that's the apostles, had held their peace, specifically Paul and Barnabas, James answered, saying, Men and brethren, hearken unto me. Simeon, and that's Simon, hath declared how God at first did visit the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. And to this agree the words of the prophets as it is written. This is a quote from the Old Testament. After this, I will return and will build again the tabernacle of David, which is fallen down, and I will build again the ruins thereof, and I will set it up, that the residue of men might seek after the Lord, and all the Gentiles, say that with me, and all the Gentiles, upon whom my name is called, saith the Lord, who doeth all these things. Read verse 18 with me. Known unto God are all his works from the beginning of the world. Amen. Wherefore, my sentence is that we trouble them, uh, not them, which from among the Gentiles are turned to God, but that we write unto them, that they uh, abstain from, the, uh, from pollution of idols and from fornication and from things strangled and from blood. For Moses of old time hath in every city them that preach him, being read in the synagogues every Sabbath day. Then pleased it the apostles and elders with the whole church. Read that with me. With the whole church to send chosen men of their own company to Antioch with Barnabas and or with Paul and Barnabas, namely Judas, whose surname is Barsabas, and Silas, chief men among the brethren. And they wrote letters by them after this manner: the apostles and elders and what is the church? Brethren, send greetings unto the brethren which are of the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia. For as much as we heard that certain which went out from us, that being the church of Jerusalem, have troubled you with words, subverting your souls, saying, Ye must be circumcised and keep the law to whom we gave no such commandment. It seemed good unto us, being assembled with one accord, to send chosen men unto you, which are uh, with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men that have hazarded their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have sent, therefore, Judas and Silas, who shall also tell you the same things by mouth. For it seemed good to the Holy Ghost and to us, say that with me, and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things, that ye abstain from meats offered to idols, and from blood, and from things strangled, and from fornication, from which, if ye keep yourselves, ye shall do well, fare ye well. So, when they were dismissed, they came to Antioch, and when they gathered, had gathered the multitude together, they delivered the epistle, the letter, which when they read, they rejoiced for consolation. And Judas and Silas, being prophets also 
on themselves, exhorted the brethren with many words and confirmed them. And after they had tarried there a space, they were let go in peace from the brethren unto the apostles back in Jerusalem, notwithstanding it pleased Silas to abide there still. Paul and Barnabas continued in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. And may God add his blessing to the reading of his word. You may be seated and let's pray. Father, we're grateful for this opportunity to take your word, to open it. Uh, These folks don't need me. Uh, Lord, you've even proven uh, that though you give a church a pastor, and I am privileged and grateful, and thank you right now for the privilege to be the pastor uh, here at this, this church that you have established in this city. But Lord, you use many men like you've used in the, on this church's life over the last couple weeks to communicate your truth. And even as you used our brother Tom this morning to communicate the truth that you are the Lord, our righteousness, we give you praise that right now it's not about man, it is about your word. And Lord, we want to hear from your word. So I, I do ask that you would set me aside, that you'd use me, but that you would set me aside and that you would promote your word in the hearts of these, your saints. And Lord, may it be powerful in our lives and effective in our lives. Lord, I do ask for your anointing on this time. Lord, I ask that you would give me that anointing, but you'd also anoint your people to hear your word, to have open ears to hear, and then to respond to your word. Help us, feed us from this passage of scripture. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to give you some background. So back several chapters in the book of Acts, you have a group of men that come over from Cyprus to this this, uh, Antioch. If you'll give me the map, guys, of Antioch, I think it's a little further in. They came over there and they began to preach. We don't know the names of these these guys that preached in Antioch, but God moved. And how many of you understand, we don't have to know who the preacher is, but if the gospel is preached, the gospel does the work, right? And so that's a great blessing. So they came over and they preached. Well, uh, it it drew some some attention uh, to what was going on. Barnabas goes up there. Peter goes up there. And God is really working in this city. And it's an amazing thing what what God is doing. So here we have a fairly new church plant there in the city of Antioch. God is growing this number. And many Gentiles are coming to the Lord. Now, you remember the church started down in Jerusalem. Uh, mostly Jews down there, and they were coming to the Lord. They were believing on Jesus Christ as their Messiah. They were not following the rest of the Jews who rejected Jesus as the Messiah. They accepted him, and they were, um, they were worshiping him down in Jerusalem, and the church at Jerusalem was growing, and they had a very Jew-centric perspective about salvation and about Jesus and those who could come to Jesus. And really, we need to understand that that's because this is a real transitional time. God had focused. He had used Israel to be a light in the, in the world. They were to be his mouthpiece to the nations, the light to the nations, to bring the Gentiles to God. They got so focused on themselves. So when Jesus came and they, they came to understanding about who Jesus was, uh, they still had a little bit of that prejudice, some, uh, some of that, that inward focus. And so they hadn't kind of blasted out of their, their territory. God sent persecution in to move them out of the area, and God began to open up their minds to understand this is a world thing. This isn't just a Jewish thing. This is a world thing. God wants the world to be saved. Whosoever will may come. Don't you believe that this morning? And so they were, this was a growing time. So I want us to, uh, to go back to 
uh, Acts chapter 15 and verse number 1, there arises a problem in the church because there's these guys that come up from Jerusalem who saw this Jew focus, this, this focus on God is just for Jesus, is just for the, the Jews, and God is all about the Jews. And so they go up into the Gentile area of Antioch, and by the way, there are two Antiochs. There's Antioch of Pisidia, there's Antioch of Syria. So we're looking at that red on the, where that red is on the map, Antioch of, 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 of Syria. And so they go up into, uh, uh, into Syria and they began to uh, meet in coffee shops. They began to uh, have people over to their homes and they began to uh, uh, talk to people in Uber rides and so forth and whatever, you know, chariot rides, whatever it was. And so they began to talk in their everyday life and they began to spread this doctrine that you cannot be saved unless you have been circumcised and believe on Jesus Christ. How many of you understand that that is really wrong doctrine? That's in a spiritual attack on the gospel. How many of us realize that today there's still attacks on the gospel in that same exact way? All right? You need to be go to church plus believe on Jesus in order to be saved. You need to be baptized plus believe on Jesus in order to be saved. You need to take the sacrament plus believe on Jesus in order to be saved. You need to, and you go down the line. And so our salvation is based in Jesus Christ alone, by faith alone, because of grace alone, right? It's all in Jesus Christ. And so as we understand that, these guys go up there and they began to trouble these new Gentile believers with this new doctrine that they hadn't heard before. They just had heard the gospel from these unnamed preachers who were saying, believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. What an amazing truth that we get to bear that even today, right? And so they heard this, and they gladly received this, and they're walking in the joy of salvation. Do you remember the day that you got saved? Do you remember the weight that was lifted? Do you remember the joy that came to your heart, the peace, the contentment that came to your heart? You say, I, I've strayed away from that. There's always a time, there's always a day like today to get back to that point. You can be as right with God as the day of your salvation. Get back to that point. David prayed, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Sometimes we need to pray that prayer, don't we? How many of you are with me on that? Yeah. So they're, they're joyful, boy. They're walking in the light of the Lord, and then these troublemakers come up there. And you know, troublemakers often don't do it right from a platform. They often do it behind closed doors. That's why I say coffee shops, and they spread it through YouTube links, and they do that type of stuff, right? Here's a book. Here's a CD. I remember years ago, a guy coming in here and passing out CDs in the church, and they're like, oh, no, 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 no. No, 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 no. We're not doing that. They do it that way. They do it on the sly. Uh, sin and wrong doctrine always thrives on the sly. Uh, the false teachers are never going to come up to the pastor. Hey, pastor, I'd like to teach your people some false doctrine. They don't do that. They don't do that. In fact, they stay very quiet. I don't want to cause any trouble. I don't want to cause any trouble, but this is what God has shown me. And so be very careful about that. So this is legitimately happening in the first church. Yes, the first church, the early church, had false doctrine running around, and they had to deal with it. So this was a spiritual attack from a very trusted place. Understand, they didn't have texts. So they couldn't text down to Jerusalem to the pastor down there and say, hey, did you really send these guys up here? They couldn't do that. So they didn't know the whole picture. It seemed like... There was a real problem coming from the church of Jerusalem. What? We've never heard these things, and so now we, we need to figure this out. And so what did, the, what did the church at Antioch do? They did a very wise thing. They sent a delegation, Paul and Barnabas, down to um, Jerusalem to ask the leadership down there, hey, what's going on? Can you explain? What about this doctrine that has come up from 
Jerusalem. And so this is where we pick up. They've gone down there. Paul and Barnabas have said their piece. The apostles have talked. The church is together. They're hearing this whole situation that's ha- uh, happened up in Antioch. And they've, they've talked. Paul and Barnabas have said their piece. And we pick up in verse number 13 where James, the pastor of Antioch, not James, the half-brother of, of Jesus, James, perhaps the son of Elpheus, uh, the half-brother, uh, the, uh, the, the son of Elpheus, uh, James picks up here in verse number 13, and he begins to say to the church, all right, I've heard all this that has been said, what's happened up there in Antioch, and now we're going to give some direction. And so here's what I want us to understand. I want you to think about this. The only way through problems is through the problem. Now, in our lives, many times you and I, we try to run from problems. I don't like confrontation. I'll be the first to admit, sometimes I I struggle in dealing with a problem, and I'll, I'll I'll try to get around it. The only way through a problem is through a problem. And I want us to realize this morning, you you might feel, what does the book of Acts have to do with my life personally? It's tons. What we're going to watch in this example is this church deals with this problem that has erupted and wasn't just in one city, but it was across a region, is that this church just went through the problem. And how they went through the problem made all the difference in the world. They didn't try to turn a blind eye to it. Well, it'll blow over. No, they went through the problem. Listen, friends, you might be facing a problem today, a a personal problem, a family problem, a a financial problem, a a relationship problem. The only way through a problem is through the problem. How we go through that problem makes all the difference in the world. And so here, James has heard all of this, and he has been uh, uh, allowed by God to be the leader of that church. And so here's what he's going to do. He's going to stand up and say, hey, I want you all to listen up. I want you to hear what we're going to do as we go forward. I've, I've heard what everything's been say, said, and I, I want you to hear what we're going to do going forward. Now, think about this as well. These believers up in Antioch had the joy of their salvation stolen. It had been wiped away by this false doctrine. False doctrine always robs us of the joy and, and the simplicity in Jesus Christ. How many of you agree with that? It always will. It always brings us back into bondage. So their joy had been had been stripped away. They were troubled deeply. In fact, later on in this passage of Scripture, it says that they were, they, uh, they were subverted. They were to the point where they lost composure. They didn't sleep at night over this. There were dear saints of God who were struggling in their homes over their dinner tables. Do you understand what this means? If we have to be circumcised and follow the law of Moses plus believe on Jesus, I don't even know how we're going to do that. And they were struggling with this. And so we have these, this problem that the church needed to go through and deal with, needed to be resolved for the sake of Christ, for the sake of the furtherance of the gospel, for the sake of these dear believers, and for the sake of them getting their joy back in Jesus Christ. Would they ever have their joy again? Yeah. And they would have their joy again because of the way the church of Jerusalem went through the problem. I want us to mark this down. You're taking notes here this morning. I want you to think about how Jerusalem went through. I'm going to highlight it, and we're going to do our best to get through this. You listen fast. I'll do my best to preach fast. We're going to get through this passage, and we're going to, I think we'll be encouraged. I think we'll be helped because you all have problems. We all have problems. Our church will have problems. 
we'll, we'll have problems. Why? Because we're imperfect and we live in an imperfect world. There's going to be problems. They're going to be mounting out, up. How do we go through them? How do we deal with personal issues? How do we deal with problems in the church? And so let's look at this. The only way through a problem is through a problem. And so notice how they went through it. They first of all, in verses 13 through 21, they first of all went through it with spiritual leadership. So notice James stands up, this pastor stands up, and he says, and, uh, and uh, after that, uh, they held their peace. James answered, men and brethren, hearken to me. And then he says this, wherefore my sentence is, this is my decision. After everything I've heard, he's not being a leader that's not willing to listen. He says, after everything I've heard, here's my decision. But I want you to notice what James bases his thought process on, his decision, his sentence upon, and it is this, that he rooted it in Scripture. James, as a spiritual leader, as a, a leader there at Jerusalem, was rooting everything he was going to do going forward in the Word of God. Notice in verse number 14, he starts here, Simeon, or Simon Peter, hath declared, back in chapter number 10, He's declared what God was doing up there in Antioch and, uh, and also around in that area with Cornelius. Remember Cornelius, the Gentile uh, that came to the Lord, that was seeking the Lord, and he was crying out to the Lord, and God brought Peter along to give him the gospel, and the whole house, all those that were able to understand, believed on Jesus Christ, and they were baptized. They followed the Lord in that way, and so he's hearkening back. He says, listen, I want us to realize what God is doing up in Antioch. We've already heard that God was doing this among the gentiles god has already told us that he was doing this there are already uh, sto uh, stories of them being saved and receiving the holy spirit as a, as the indwelling spirit of god within them we've already heard this and so where does where does uh james start with the church remember what god has already done but james was not just experientially focused james takes them back to the Bible that they had. Remember, they didn't have the New Testament like we have today. Aren't you thankful for the whole Bible? So they didn't have the whole Bible. They had the Old Testament. And you know what James does? He bases what he just said back on the Word of God. Amos chapter 9 and verse number 11, he says, listen, I want to quote this to you, that the prophets themselves agree. Now, what James was saying was not saying that, that what Amos was prophesying at that point was being fulfilled. There's still some prophecy in that to be fulfilled later on. But what he was saying is he said, the prophets themselves agree that there would be Gentiles who would call upon the name of the Lord and that this is okay with God. This is a part of God's plan. So what did James do? He rooted his decision in Scripture. Spiritual leadership will root their decisions in Scripture. That's important. That's important. As Baptists, we believe that that the Bible is our authority for all faith and practice. I'm glad, I'm glad you agree. That's important. That's, a, that's a, constant, a constant issue that we have to stay focused on because we, we like to use our experience. Experience and stories are great. You know, the, the story we heard about Miss Gale and God bringing her um, back to health and, and continuing to restore her. It's a great story, but it's not Bible, right? It confirms the Bible. It confirms the truth of Scripture, but it's not Bible, you know? Some people say, well, I was saved from a car accident, so therefore I'm saved. No, that's not. Th your experience doesn't save you. Your experience doesn't 
doesn't trump scripture. And so James goes back and roots it in scripture. And do you notice in verse number 18, let's read that verse again. Known unto God are all his works from the beginning of the world. And you know what James is saying? Okay, you know what? I don't understand all that God's doing, but known to God is his works. And you know what James exemplifies as a spiritual leader here? Is the greatest attribute of any leader is submission to God and to his word. The greatest test of your spiritual leadership within your home is your submission to God and to his word. Your greatest test of your submission in the workplace is your, uh, your submission to God and his word. We're being pressured everywhere we look right now. We're being pressured to, to think against God. And some people are even losing their jobs because they won't wear a rainbow shirt and that type of stuff. You know, we're being pressured by the world. You've got to get on board with the world or get out. Listen, the greatest test of your leadership, of spiritual leadership, is our submission to God and to his word. And so James exemplifies that to us. As a leader, are your decisions rooted in Scripture? Dad, can you say today, my decision's rooted in Scripture. Hey, hey, can you say that in your workplace? I know it might not be a, a Christian workplace, but is the decision, the way that you carry out your life and your work, your career, is it rooted in Scripture? But notice James applies it with care. So he goes on. He goes, wherefore, verse number 19, wherefore my sentence is that we trouble them not. Now, James is not saying we're just going to throw up our hands and sweep this problem under the rug. He says that we trouble them not. This is the only time in the New Testament that this word is used, specific here. Uh, we're not going to vex them. We're not going to hurt them. We're not going to add to their harm. We're not going to cause them more pain and so on. And so he says, my sentence, my resolution, my decision, my fixed opinion based on the truth of God's word is this. And James, uh, James decides, and he gives a bit of the content here, that we're going to write a letter up there. We're going to send a letter up there, and we're going to describe some of the things that they ought to do. Now, some people wonder, is this is this legalism, is James bringing them back into legalism? Because that's what the Judaizers were trying to do, bring them into legalism, add something to Jesus for salvation. What this is, is, is one body of believers encouraging another body of believers to walk with God and to live in harmony with one another. If we boil it all down, we could, do, we could stay and study a lot inside of this letter, but I want you to know what James is trying to encourage them to do. Be holy and live in harmony with one another. Be holy and live in harmony with one another. And that is the, the practical outflow of what James has seen from Scripture. God has called. He allows for the Gentiles to come to him in faith. We have heard that there's been some big problems uh, caused by some rogue members that came up from Jerusalem. We don't want to trouble you. We, don't wanna, we want you to know that we didn't send them up. We didn't ask them to go up there. We did not give them the authority to teach this. And so he gives a letter. He leads in that way. And so what I'm asking you today as a, as a leader, wherever you're a leader, are, are you willing, like James, to step up, base your decision on Scripture, and take the lead? Apply it with care. Apply it with diligence. James was going to lead them through an opportunity to write a letter to these people to help them understand what had happened and help them to know how to go forward. Isn't that great? He applied the scripture. He didn't just teach the scripture. This is what God says. Now we'll just uh, go home and you know, eat our, eat our uh, baklava, right? Uh, how many of you like baklava? That stuff is really great stuff. 
But, you know, they weren't going to just go home and have lunch. They, they were going to apply this. They were going to take this problem all the way through. You see, as a spiritual leader, he's going to root his decision in Scripture. He's going to apply it with care. But notice what happens in 22 through 29. The church unified behind him. The church unified. And so it, you look in verse number 22. It says, with the whole church. In verse 25, being assembled with one accord to send uh, the, the brethren. Uh, in verse 28, it seemed good to the Holy Ghost and to us together as a church. And so the church got together and said, all right, we're going to go along with this. And notice what happens here as we see in their lives, in their example, that unity was abounding within the church family. Now, think about this. Unity is a product of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Unity is a product of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit working in your life and in my life, we will not be unified. God is not trying to get us to be uniform. He is trying to get us to be unified. And that only comes by the Holy Spirit. We cannot have enough think tanks and enough brainstorms and enough, uh, enough, hey, well, how do you see it? And how do you see it? And how do you see it to get unity within this body? The only way for us to be unified is as we are in submission to the Holy Spirit of God. Ephesians 4 and verse number 3 says, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. The unity that is sourced in the Holy Spirit. You want to be unified with your, uh, your spouse? Submit to the Holy Spirit. You don't want to have unity within your family? Lead your family to be in submission to the Holy Spirit of God. You want our church to be unified? It starts with you. Submit to the Holy Spirit of God. Yield to the Holy Spirit of God. And so here's what happens. There in verse 28, it seemed good to the Holy Ghost and to us. They agree. They followed the Holy Spirit. He was the ultimate mover in all of this. But they followed spiritual leadership in verse number 22. Then pleased it the apostles and the elders. Now notice, you look in there at verse 22. And the whole church. Say that with me. And the whole church. The whole church. Now think about that. Think about the power of that. Think about it as they approach to the problem. Uh, how many times do problems cause people to go like this? You with me? Have you been through a situation like that? Everyone takes a side in an opinion. That didn't happen here at Jerusalem. How in the, that is supernatural work right there, friends. That's amazing. That's what we want, don't we? In every area of our lives, that's what we want. We want that exact thing to be going on. They followed the spiritual leadership not because he was something great, not because he was something to be worshipped or to be preeminent. He wasn't preeminent. James, we don't even know his family line. We don't even really know who this James is. We just know that God gave him the spiritual leadership in that place, and it pleased the apostles when he says, hey, this is what the Bible says in Amos, and this is what we're going to do, and so let's do it. And they all said, so be it, or amen. That's pretty amazing. It pleased them. This was a decision the church made in that moment to follow, uh, to follow there. The apostles, the assisting pastors or elders, the whole congregation said, so be it. So be it. Hebrews 13, verse 7 says, Remember them which rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow. Whose faith follow. Think about that. Whose faith follow. Not because of that person. Notice this considering the end or the goal of their conversation, their lifestyle, Jesus Christ is saying yesterday, today, and forever. Do you know who James was focusing on? Not his own credibility, 
not his own platform, not his position, but his focus on Jesus. What does Jesus want? And how can I lead this church to do what Jesus wants? And so uh, here, here they were. They were following. This is uncharted territory. No one had had this situation where, uh, where, where uh, there was a, a problem um, that was based out of one church uh, happening in another. The, this was uncharted. The whole thing of, of the Gentiles receiving Christ and all being one body in Jesus Christ, which is an amazing thought that he spans all races, all, all, all nations, all regions. He spans all that. This was uncharted territory for them. They had, a, they had this focus on Jerusalem and on, on, on the Jews, but now, now God is spreading it out and he's doing amazing things. And so... James is saying, hey, we got to go this way. And they're saying, so be it. We follow. And our submission to God's will is often tested by our willingness to follow the spiritual leaders God has placed in our lives. You know, we see that in children. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. They're, the test of their obedience to God and doing God's will is tested by their obedience to clean up their room. And where are the parents? You know what I'm saying? But it's the same for you and me. If I can't, if I can't follow the spiritual leader that God's placed in my life, it says much about my submission to God. And so the church here is really exemplifying they're passing a test with flying colors because the whole church is on board and then notice how they unified uh, uh, around the decision but they didn't stay there they co-labored toward the solution this is amazing as i think about this in verse 22 it says they it seemed good to them to send chosen men of their own company to antioch with paul and barnabas in this judas and silas that they sent up there they dispatched the whole church decided hey this is good we we're behind this and we're going to dispatch we're going to say yep we're going to send those two men up there to help out the situation they weren't going to say paul and barnabas you take this letter back there we really don't want to uh, deal with it anymore we don't want to go up there and face this problem we don't want to see those that have been hurt we're just going to not deal with it no they sent they dispatched hey we want you Silas and Judas to go up to Antioch and we want you to go up there bear this letter to them and then Speak it with your own mouth as well So they hear it and get your heart and they get the heart of pastor James They get the heart of the whole uh, church back at Jerusalem We want them to hear it up there in their uh, uh, from your your very mouth And so this was 320 miles away I want you to think about this Pastor James was not taking a, a ministry trip up to to Antioch. Two men from the congregation went up. You know what that says? The congregation was vested in this. The congregation was standing behind this. They, they were not being overcome of evil, but they were overcoming evil with good. They were uh, making an investment of love, giving both time and, and no doubt money. Uh, to, to make this to happen on behalf of the whole church. Those two men were away from their families, perhaps even away from their job for a time. This was not a vacation that they were going up in, a, and entering into. They were going up to deal with a problem. How many of you love to go deal with a problem? No, no one loves dealing with problems, but they were going to go up there 320 miles away and deal with the problem. It would require faith that God was going to step in and bring resolution it required love on their part. It demonstrated love that these brethren would go, on, go all the way up there 
and that they, um, they would take the time, their time, and they would give that time for the, the solving of this problem that was there at Antioch. My little children, 1 John 3.18, let us love not in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And they proved that. These were chief men in the church. Pastor James needed to stay in Jerusalem and focus on the main duty, his main calling, the prayer and the ministry of the word. And that's told to us in Acts 6. That was his responsibility. And so he trusted and had confidence in these men, these men, Judas and Silas. They were willing to be dispatched. They didn't say, well, not me. (laughs) They were willing to be dispatched. These were leaders within the church, uh, not because they were given the position, but because they led out from faith, similar to a Stephen, similar to the choosing of the deacons. They, they already had a testimony, and from that testimony, they became chief men in the church, leaders uh, in charge of different things. And so uh, Pastor James sends them up to Antioch to deal with this. And he had confidence that what they would say by mouth would reflect the heart of the church and would reflect, most of all, the leading of the Holy Spirit. That's, that's an incredible trust. Now think about that in relation to us. Are you willing to be dispatched on behalf of the church? You know, you go visit somebody, maybe visit a guest or visit somebody in the hospital. You know you're not going just on your own. You're going on behalf of the church family. Hey, the whole of Grace Baptist Church loves you. Now, we can't all fit... Grace Baptist, you can't fit Grace Baptist Church inside the hospital room. It's not even possible right now in some hospitals, right? But, you know, Grace Baptist Church, there's folks back here praying for you. Uh, you go witnessing. Hi, my name is Joseph. I'm from Grace Baptist Church. And I'm here to tell you about Jesus, right? You go be- on behalf. And so these guys go up there on behalf of the church. And are you willing to do that? Are you willing to visit someone in the hospital? Are you willing to, to visit a guest and to show care to someone in need, uh, maybe a widow, to, to go pray with somebody, sit with somebody, sit with somebody while they're going through surgery, to, to, to visit someone who's strained from the Lord, saying, hey, there's a church family back here that loves you and wants you back, right? Are you willing to, to be dispatched on behalf of the church and to show the heart of the church, but more importantly, the heart of Jesus Christ towards that person? You might be walking through a store and find somebody. You think about that. Your moment in the life of that carnal, strained believer, that that God-given moment could be the key to whether they get back on track or stay off track. You, with the love of the church, with the love of Jesus Christ, embrace them in that moment as someone that is, is encouraging them, saying, hey, we want you. We want to encourage you. We want you to get back with with the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you willing to be dispatched on behalf of what God is doing here? We need to be willing, like uh, like these two men, Judas and and Silas, willing even to travel. I think about in September, uh, maybe some of you remember back March 15th, I think it was 2020, we had uh, Brother Brad Burke here who was starting the Vision Baptist Church in Beechwood, Ohio. Uh, So a lot of things got you know, stayed off from COVID, but all through September on those Saturdays, they're going to be passing out the literature. Already up in Dearborn, Ohio, they're, they're, or Dearborn, Michigan, they're passing out the literature of the John and Romans for the start of that, that church, Dearborn Baptist Church. But uh, 
Vision Baptist Church is going to be chartering on, on this year, and, and, but as well, they, they want to get out the John and Romans that they had a hard time getting out last year because of, of COVID. And so, you know what? On behalf of the church, I think some of us ought to go up there you know, and, and, and be a part of that and encourage that church family. Something to encourage me, Beachwood Baptist Church went up to Dearborn five hours away as a brand new church, not even chartered, and passed out John and Romans up there. Isn't that amazing? But that's on behalf of, do you see what I'm saying? On behalf of, are you willing to, to, um, to invest and invest in love um, for, the, um, for the solution through problems, for the, the blessing of another church? And so they were unified in how they followed their spiritual leader. They collabored towards the solution and even how they communicated. Because look in verses 23 through 29, they communicated in one voice. They sent a letter up there and they said, here's our heart. Here's what pastor had led us in, but here's our heart. And notice how the letter starts off. It says in verse 23, and the, they wrote letters um, by them after this manner. And it does not say the pastor of the church of Jerusalem says. I want you to notice this. In verse number 23, the apostles and elders and brethren send you greeting. Hey, what did they did in, in, in this opening greeting? They said, hey, everyone back in Jerusalem, pastor included in there, but the whole church... Here's what's going on. We are saying something to you. We want you to get this message, and we want you to get it so bad, and we want you to get it so clearly that we put it in words. We put it in words that people could read that are even outside of the problem, and even now we are reading this letter how many years later? 2,000 years later, right? And that's amazing. And so God wants us to have this uh, to see how they communicated with one voice. Now, this letter, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go through this really quick, okay? I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this. We, we could spend a lot of time in this letter, but there's seven parts of this letter that I noticed. Maybe you'll find eight, nine, or whatever, but there's seven summaries, okay? Number one, in verse number 23, the letter greeted from the believers, the Jewish believers, all the believers back at Jerusalem, the greeted the Gentiles, get this, as brethren, as brethren. So remember this. So they're having this trouble. Some Jews went up there and said, you can't be saved unless you follow the law of Moses and you get circumcised and be like us. You know what? This, this letter starts off right off the bat. Hey, the brethren down here, greet you as brethren in Christ. Isn't that great? You're not excited. That's great. You know why it's such a blessing? Friends, I, I can think of faces this morning over in, over in South Branch Baptist Church that you don't know, and I don't know the ins and outs of their life, but you know what? I count them as dear brethren in the Lord. Isn't it great that you can, you can pick up and go six hours away or 10 hours away or be in Florida and walk into a, a church of like mind and immediately be fed and be encouraged by the fellowship because the Holy Spirit is indwelling within us and giving a uh, connection to the whole body of Christ. And so here it is. We're saying, we're right now at the outset, we're saying, you're brethren. You're our brothers in Christ. You wonder, why do we say brother and sister around here? Well, because of that, we're brethren. Brothers, you're my brothers in Christ. Sisters, you're my sisters in Christ. Wow. They greeted them as brethren. The only other time that this word greeting is used in uh, the New Testament is in James chapter 1 and verse number 1 when there's greetings sent out to the, the saints that were scattered abroad. It's interesting. This greeting was a very tender greeting to all those Gentiles up there. Number two 
the letter explained what happened to the members who were uh, with the members who were spreading this false doctrine. So in verse 24, he's like, hey, uh, it, it came to us, and that's how false doctrine oft, often gets found out. Uh, we heard through the grapevine, right, th- that this was going on and that they've troubled you. We didn't give any such command. Oh, I can imagine all the Gentile believers up there thinking, oh, that's good to know. Uh, and you know what? That also tells us, just practically, really practically, the first thing that you hear is not always the truth. Remember that as we're watching the news and, and, and hearing bits and pieces. Not everything you hear is true. Not everything everyone who says they're concerned about you and your safety is true. You have a spirit who dwells within you that says and promises that he will guide you into how much truth? Yeah. So just remember, the first thing you hear about a brother and sister across the the aisle from you may not be true. One of the ways Satan gets into a church like ours is to stir up assumption. We can assume. We can make assumptions about other people within our family. The first thing that you hear is not always true. Give time for God to work and to bring truth to light. Think the best. Give the benefit of the doubt. That's where the rubber meets the road. How many of you sometimes struggle with giving the benefit of the doubt? How many of you are going to be honest with me this morning now? Right? And so they explain what happened with these, these false brethren there and that they were indeed rogue members. And yes, they had subverted. They had upset the Gentile believers to the point that they lost their composure is what the word means. is they, It really wrecked their world. It's like going out of the ice cream shop for a little kid and ice cream is so you know, melty or whatever that it just kind of falls off and hits the concrete and the dog licks it up. It just rocks the world, right? You understand what I'm talking about? And that, that's, that's exactly what had happened with these Gentile believers. It just messed them up. And James acknowledged that. He didn't try to say, well, you know, this wasn't in our intent and you know, uh, this isn't something we can be responsible. He just simply explained, this is what happened it's not right. They went up there. They went against. They, they, they did this on the sly. It's not right. He wanted them to know. Number three, the letter communicated unity of the whole church body in this matter, not just a message from a few, but the whole, he says, and from the brethren. And it verified Judas and Silas as the ambassadors or as the representatives. So that was important. He was saying, listen, we're sending them along to, to say by mouth what we say in the letter, to answer questions and to, to say, uh, uh, to just give more clarity to the situation. So the letter communicated that unity. Number four, the letter highlighted their submission in verse 28 to the Holy Spirit and the whole church's agreement to it. So they're saying, hey, what we're saying to you isn't something that we just concocted. We prayed, we sought the Holy Spirit's direction, we're submitted to him, and we said yes to the Holy Spirit, and this letter, what we're telling you, is indeed, uh, is the product of our submission to the Holy Spirit, and by the way, God put a stamp of approval on it by putting it in inspired scripture. He doesn't, he doesn't say the letter was wrong, he didn't say they, uh, they stepped out of bounds, he put it in here, he gave us example here. And so it seemed good to the Holy Ghost and to us to lay no greater burden on uh, uh, than these necessary things. Now, this tells us the Holy Spirit was the prime mover within that church body down in Jerusalem. Friends, again, I cannot underscore the importance of the Holy Spirit needing to be the prime mover in our church. 
but if he is not the prime mover in our personal lives, you are being, you are, you are not a part of contributing to unity, you are detracting from unity. And so I implore you, I implore you, be submitted to the Holy Spirit. I don't ask you to be submitted to me. You don't need that. I don't want that. I do ask you to be submitted to the Holy Spirit of God. Listen to him. Say, I don't know what his voice sounds like. Let's talk about that. Let's get along with God and, and begin to hear. I often tell new disciples this. If I, can, if I can simply help you to understand the ministry of the Holy Spirit in your life, you will be set. The ministry of the Holy Spirit is what unifies our hearts to God, but it unifies us with one another. And so they were submitted. They were submitted to the Spirit of truth. They were seeking His will, and they said it was good to us because it was good to the Holy Spirit. And I hope that that's what you can say today. It was good to me because it was good to the Holy Spirit. Number five, it communicated necessary truths for, notice, holy and harmonious Christian living. And this is where we could spend a lot of time and I want to be careful uh, uh, to just give you the highlight here, and you can go back and study. If you have any questions after this, I, I would certainly love to entertain those. But in verse 29, he lists again, in a different order than what James initially said, but he lists again the four areas that he was asking them, encouraging them to focus on uh, for holy and harmonious living. So I want you to notice, uh, this was not a mandate handed down by a superior organization. Some people look at this, this is called the, the Jerusalem Council, oftentimes it's commonly called that. This is not this, this denominational structure here that is now handing down a law to another church. This is a group of believers who met with the Holy Spirit because they, they got together and they said, what does the Bible say? What does the Holy Spirit want us to do? Now, we're going to do that. And they said, now, here's what we, we have found. This was good to the Holy Spirit and to us, and we're passing it on to you. By the way, that's what we ought to do to one another. It's good to the Holy Spirit. It's based on his word. It's good to me. And now I encourage you in the same way. That's what's going on here. They're encouraging this group of believers in two specific ways. First of all, I want you to notice they're, they're encouraging them in practical harmony. Uh, understand verse number 28 tells us that Moses was preaching every city on the Sabbath or on the Saturday in all the synagogues. And so what he is saying there is in every city there is the law of Moses being preached. And so as you interact with, throughout Antioch as Gentile believers, just know that there's a group of Jewish people within the city that went to the Sabbath day and they heard that they need to do this, this, and this, and this. And if you live as believers, followers of Jesus Christ, uh, uh, doing the very things they're told not to do, and in order to be right with God, you're going to cause offense, you're going to cause a stumbling block, you're going to cause some different struggles, and even for the believers that have come out of that lifestyle, out of the Jewish culture, who realize that, that, that well, may, uh, you could eat meat that is offered to idols, they, they, the meat itself isn't evil, and it would cause a conscience issue for those Jews. He says, listen, I want you to live in practical harmony, I want you to practice harmony with those believers, and I want you just to abstain from it. Now, over in Corinthians, this, this, um, this issue goes further because the whole issue arises in Corinth about whether to eat meat offered to idols. And what does Paul um, come down to? He goes, if it's going to offend my brother, uh, the meat itself isn't evil. There are still people that will not eat pork, right? Because it, it's mentioned in Scripture. And some people even have that as a conscience issue. Well, you know what? I'm not, gonna, I'm not going to invite a Jewish believer person who's trusted in Jesus Christ, a Jewish believer, over to my home and serve him pork. 
that's just not kind. If I know something offends you and is a conscience issue in your life, I'm not going to bring you over to my house and do it. I, uh, I grew up where we did not go to liquor-serving restaurants. It's kind of hard today to, uh, to do that, but I didn't go up in that way. Uh, if I were to have my pastor come over here, I'm not going to invite him to go to lunch with me in a liquor-serving restaurant. Why? Because I know that he came out of a lifestyle of drinking and drunkenness, and it offends his conscience. You see what's going on here? He's saying, live in harmony. This is a very, very practical thing here. This is practical for our church. We need to be careful for one another. The church will have a standard. We understand that institutional standard. There will be some standards that we have in the church when we're together doing the work of the Lord. We'll have some standards together. You know what? You have standards in your home. Some of those are based on some conscience issues, and we have to be careful around one another in those ways. And that's all James is saying here. That's all the church is saying to this, this body of Gentiles up there is abstain from eating meats offered to idols, which oftentimes meant that, that you know, a whole idolatrous living. So uh, in order to, to show a good example, to live in harmony with the, with the other believers, to, to have a good testimony before them, make sure that you're not even getting close to the idolatry that's still going on in the Gentile, uh, uh, among the Gentile heathen. And, and don't eat blood. That's something God gives to us after the, after the, uh, the flood and things strangled because the blood is still within. That was something very important to the Jewish, the Jewish people. That was a, one of the laws that God had given them in the Mosaic, on the Mosaic Law. So in order to live in harmony with the believers and even not to be a, 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 a bad testimony to the, the unbelieving Jews, let's live in this way. Uh, so he, he says that. And so I just remember this. The Bible says, keep yourselves from idols. Amen. In 1 John 5, 21. And essentially what's being told here is, hey, separate yourselves. Live a separate life so that you can live in a way that is not going to be a stumbling block to another believer. Have you ever heard someone say something like, I didn't think Christians did that? Have you ever heard anyone say that? I have. Live in a way that, that doesn't offend the world. Now, that doesn't mean we, we get, I need to qualify that a whole lot. You understand what I'm saying? Let the gospel offend. But don't live in a way that causes people to say, you know, I, I, you go to church. You, you say you're a follower of Jesus Christ? I don't understand that. Well, you certainly seem to get pretty angry, get pretty, pretty aggravated. You know, live in a way that, that becomes Jesus Christ. And so that's what's being said here. Live in practical harmony. But also, he says this, Live in personal holiness, abstain from fornication. The Bible can't be more clear over and over. God's will for you and I as believers is to abstain from fornication. Can I get an amen? God says that every sin that man does without his body is without his body, but fornication is a sin against a man's own soul. It will violate, violate you. There is forgiveness in God. How many of you are thankful for that? There is forgiveness. But it is a hurt. I was reading through Proverbs. It's a hurt. It's a wound. It hurts. It causes problems. God never intended for the, the sexual relationship to be outside the bounds of marriage. Inside the bounds of marriage, it's like a beautiful fire inside the fireplace. Outside of the fire, it burns holes in the carpet, 
makes marks in hardwood floors. If you ever over to my house, you can find some marks in front of my, heart, uh, my fireplace on the hardwood floors that happened while we were in the hospital, uh, you know, and away from home, you know, and, and, and uh, some family were over there having, enjoying a nice fire, uh, forgot the screen. Well, it causes problems. There's marks, and they're just storytellers right now. But you understand, it, it causes problems. God says, abstain from fornication. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 tells us that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit of God, and so we are to glorify him, and therefore we are to abstain from fornication. That is something that is not preached often in, in, in Christian churches, but I'm telling you, I still believe it is right to wait until marriage. It honors God. And I encourage you about that. Encourage those that you know about that. This isn't because we're being... This is what God says. He, he knows. He made us. He has, a, he has the manual on us. He, he knows. And so we abstain. So Matthew Henry said it this way. The avoiding of fornication is necessary, necessary to Christians at all times. The avoiding of things strangled and of blood and of things offered to idols is necessary at this time. And even the things offered to idols would be uh, further explained in Corinthians. For uh, the keeping up of good understanding between you and the Jews and preventing offense. And so I want us to realize James and the church there is not preaching legalism. They're preaching holiness and harmony. This is not wrong. Some of this preaching will get denounced in churches today. Some of this letter would get denounced in churches today. Well, I have my rights. And no one should be able to, you know, uh, uh, you know, step on my rights. Oh, James says, no, live in harmony and be holy. How many of you realize with me that if we could just do those two things this week, we'd have our work cut out for us? Number six, they commended those that would heed the ab admonition. He didn't say, if you don't do this, you will. No, he says, if you do this, you're going to do well. You're going to do well. You'll please God. And then number seven, he communicated goodwill with his last statement. Fare you well. Be strong. We wish the best for you. We want you to succeed. We want you to go on for God. We want you to, we want you to be uh, encouraged. We don't want you to be stalled by this whole situation. We want you to be encouraged. Fare you well. So what happens? They've delivered this letter. They've followed the church leader, uh, leadership, the spiritual leadership. They've been unified as a church family, working towards a solution, communicating all this. But notice in verse number 30 through 35, they went there with comforting words of truth. Notice in verse number 31, which when they had read... Let's read the last part of that together. They rejoice for consolation. And one more time, they rejoice for consolation. The idea was that what they said, what they brought up there was a source of comfort to the church there. Mm. It was a source of comfort to those, uh, those Gentile believers. You know, as I look at this, the fingerprints of the Holy Spirit were all over the situation and the way they handled it. Because the Bible tells us that when Jesus Christ would go back to heaven, he would send another what? comforter and you know what they did they went and brought comfort to those believers you cannot find a church that was acting more in line with the holy spirit than the church of jerusalem in this moment they brought comfort i want to be like that to other people don't you i want to be a mouthpiece for the holy spirit i want to be the hands of the holy spirit in people's lives 
I want our church to be that way. Be, um, be this way to other churches and be life-giving, to bring comfort to them in their time of struggle, to bring uh, encouragement. And how did they do this? With liberating words because it says when they, when they heard, read this epistle, they rejoiced for consolation. The idea here is that they, they had feelings of happiness that, that happened kind of like springing up of a, of a well, you know, just like spurting out of the ground. It just, it just happened. They heard the words and it was like happiness just erupted in their hearts pretty amazing truth the truth they brought to the church of antioch there to those gentile believers brought joy why because truth always brings freedom and no longer are they thinking you know i am shackled by the mosaic law they're understanding no i'm free from that i believed in jesus christ yes i need to live in harmony with other believers and i need to live in, in holiness but i'm free in jesus christ and it's an amazing thing Ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Now where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. And that's what's going on in Antioch. The world, carnal believers, will always tell us the Bible is restrictive. Truth is restrictive. It puts me in a straitjacket, cramps my style. That's for another time. That's just the Old Testament. You know, you know just push that aside. It, we'll always be told that truth is restrictive. You know what these believers found? That truth, the truth of the gospel, the unadulterated gospel, the pure, the simple gospel was absolutely liberating. And their hearts erupted with joy. That's so awesome that they were able to do that. I want to be able to help people's hearts erupt with joy and to be liberated in Jesus Christ. To understand, and not talking about liberated to sin, but liberated to righteousness. To live out the righteousness Christ has given us. In verse 32, they were strengthening words because Judas and Silas, they stayed on. They were preachers. God had gifted them as prophets, as ones that would declare the gospel, would declare the word of God. And so they stayed on and exhorted the brethren with many words. And notice in verse 32, and confirmed them. They strengthened them. They did not bring them through classes of confirmation. They strengthened them with the word. This is what the Bible says. This is what Amos said. We heard our pastor um, talk about this. This is the, the message he gave the church back there. Amos 9 and verse 11 and 12. It says this. You're welcome in the family of God. And they strengthened them. You know what this is? This is discipleship. They didn't just solve the problem and, and, and leave town the next day. They stayed there and they continued to root them in Scripture. Why? So the next time some dirty, false teachers would come up and try to subvert them, they'd be able to say, you know what, that's not what the Bible says. And they don't have to go through months of uh, sending a message down to uh, the, the church of Jerusalem to find, out, to find out what God really meant. They could understand it. They could be rooted and grounded themselves. They could understand and go forward on their own. They were teaching them to observe all things whatsoever God had commanded them. Uh, so what happens after this, this period of time, uh, they go back, but Silas stays. Silas stays. Paul and Barnabas stay as well. Judas and whoever else was with him, they go back to Jerusalem. Silas stays on, and he continues to minister. And you know what's interesting to me? Uh, a little later on, verse number 40, Silas is going to go on a missionary tour with who? You know what? Silas found the future will of God by being willing to do the present will of God, by willing to go 320 miles somewhere 
and solve a problem. And what did God open up? He got to travel with the Apostle Paul. He got to be whipped, put in prison, sing praises at midnight, see an earthquake happen, and, uh, and, the, and the jail cell open, and a, a Philippian jailer come to the Lord. You talk about a wild ride that he was about to go on, but he found that. Why? Because he submitted to the present will of God. You want to know the future will of God for your life? Walk in God's will today. And so Silas stays on there. They're speaking the truth and love so that, as Ephesians 4.15 says, they may grow up into him, Jesus, in all things, which is the head, even Christ. And so they're bringing them up. They're encouraging them with many also, others also. So it wasn't just Paul, Barnabas, and Silas teaching the word. Many others were in that area teaching the word and encouraging them along, bringing them along. It was not just pastor i was thinking about that this morning as brother tom was speaking my heart was blessed and i know brother tom's not uh, he's not the one he says i don't like to get up in front of people and so forth but i was blessed by him teaching this morning and opening up the word to us this morning sharing from his heart how it struck him I especially i uh, was blessed by that last uh testimony and the, the statement you read from the atheist and i was thinking there you know what this is exactly how it ought to be others encouraging in the word here's what god has taught me this touches my soul Hey, guys, God wants you to be in that. God wants that from you. He wants that, yes, in your family, but he wants, he wants you to, to grow in the Lord and to be a servant of the Lord, being willing to be dispatched and be sent out and to be willing to, to expound on the word of God. Here's what God is teaching me. Could you walk out today and not talk about anything else but what God has taught you in the last week? Could you tell, share that with somebody? That's what was going on here. They were discipling them. They were entrenching them. It wasn't just the pastor up there. It was many others also being willing to help new believers and, and, and growing believers to come along in their faith. And you know what? I know there's some of you that, that have that, that desire in your heart. Maybe you haven't even made it known yet. You said, I would love to take someone to a Bible study. Pastor, if you hear of somebody who wants to just meet and be encouraged and, and, and talk along, I'd love to meet them for coffee and, and talk along. Make it known. But the fact is, there was this going on within the church, and it edified the church, and that's exactly what God wants to be happening. So here we are at the end of this, this passage of Scripture. By far not the last problem the early church would face. They're going to face more. In fact, Paul and Barnabas are going to face a problem in just a few verses. It's not going to be the last problem they face. But there is rejoicing as we leave the Gentiles there, in Antioch, there's rejoicing there. Why? Because the church at Jerusalem gave a model to us that when there's a problem, the only way through a problem is through the problem. And here's how they did it. With God's truth and with Christ's love. Now think about that. It was rooted in Scripture. And how many indications in this passage of Scripture do we have that they loved those believers up there? They called them brethren. They traveled 320 miles. They put their heart on paper and sent someone else to expound it with their words. They left some of their own up there to teach and communicate the word. This is full of love for the brethren. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. It's full of love. And so how did they approach this problem? With God's truth and Christ's love. That's amazing. You know what? That's how we have to approach problems. With God's truth. We can't err on that. But God says... Speaking the truth in love may grow up into him. And we have some encouraged Gentile believers up there in Antioch because that's what the church of Jerusalem did. Before they even had Ephesians 4.15, they did Ephesians 4.15. Speaking the truth in love 
may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Jesus Christ. Isn't that great? Let's be that kind of church, friends. Let's be that type of uh, Christian. Let's, let's take their example. And would you bow in prayer, and we're going to ask God to help us with that, okay? Thank you for listening today. For more information about Grace Baptist Church, please visit our website at gracebaptistofkettering.org. And remember, you are always welcome at Grace Baptist Church.